hybrids welcome back to another episode of the fandom hybrid podcast this is hanako and i am here tonight with anthony Lori, and mike and we are discussing cursed season one episode six um well this one started out kind of ominous with gray monk burning everything yeah this guy i mean i'm just waiting this like this, this he's a guy that you really want to see someone like teach him a lesson, but he's so good you're just like, nah, it's not gonna happen. He just see he, he's a good I mean he's a good villain slash antagonist in this. I think Father Cardin's voiceover bothered me more. He was just basically like. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna starve them. We're gonna burn all of their fields. We're gonna burn their homes. We're just gonna eradicate them. We're gonna do all of this. I'm like, why? What did they ever do to you? It's just like I said when you, when you asked which one intimidate, which one intimidates you more, the monk or Father Cardin? It's Father Cardin 100. Oh yeah. Because, as I said, he's he's the guy that that can like kill a thousand people with one word, like. And he, anybody who's a leader like that, that can control people's minds and get lead them into lead them into a fire without them blinking an eye, and lead them to destroying a whole race of people just by just on just by wave, waving his hand is an incredibly dangerous and just scary person. Yeah, because he's not even he's not even getting his own hands dirty. Everybody else is doing everything. Yeah, we, we haven't seen him really, really do anything other than Nothing. ordering people to do it. You know. Put a leaf on a little boy's hand and show him off to get burned. Right. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. but we see that their, their, their plans are diabolical. You know, we're just going to burn all their fields and they're going to be starved. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, honestly, it, it's a good it's a good strategy. But, yeah. you know, the fact that they're doing this just because the enemy is Faye. Ooh. You know, it's kind of like, give me a good reason that you're like just trying to annihilate a whole race of people. Well, it's that fear of the other again. That, that fear of something you don't fully understand and, 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 a, and a lot of times once, once someone gets caught up in the power of it and he has power through this um it's hard to break that you know it's like once you start going down that road of i've identified the enemy as the other oh look i've got five thousand people following me simply because of that you know it's it's hard to let go of that that type of power and influence but he's supposed to be doing this for god he's not supposed to be doing this for glory or for his own whatever. Well, that's the, the thing about altruism is at some point your altruism can become kind of selfish. Yeah. And he's doing it for God, but as he he has crossed over that, he's really, you know, doing it for himself, even though it's under the guise of I'm doing it because it's just the right thing to do. Right. I mean, that's what it is throughout history. Most people, the most, most of the most atrocious things that have happened in history have happened in the name of God in one form or the other. Whether it's God, whether it's Allah, whether it's Buddhist, Vishnu, or it's whatever. 
ambition to conquer everything in his name, it's just that's just a recipe for disaster and for death, destruction, maybe. Right. Okay, so going through the episode, let me just say, Gawain is starting to get on my nerves. Him and his pettiness and his, I mean, listening to him talk throughout the episode. Okay, I get it. Arthur's a human. He's man blood. You don't like him and you have your valid reasons for not liking humans. I get that. But the whole petty, let's see whose dick is larger BS that he's doing with Arthur right now is really getting on my nerves. But Gawain is he's starting most of it. And I'm like, you're supposed to be the leader of this whole, you know, this whole movement. Show a little dignity in class. I, I think it has more to do with <laughs> with him not liking humans as opposed yeah. well not humans, but I think it has a lot more to do with him not liking non fate as opposed to having a thing for uh, for Nimway. I don't know. Because even she was looking at them like, okay, so y'all are make y'all are trying to make me choose. Like is that what that is? Okay, how about this? I won't choose either one of you. Hey, come no, I, I mean I, I really think he just doesn't like Arthur because he's man blood. He 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 literally has no love for them at all. And that's a huge journey in this because it's like they're being driven out by someone who doesn't like faith. But he's there fighting them and he doesn't like like him because he's human. Right. You, know, you don't see the thing in this. Right. And then and then Arthur's sister is like key in the whole Fae resistance. Like she's the one who built the Fae underground to help save your people. So the least you can do is cut them a little slack. I mean, I haven't seen him say anything negative about more uh, you know about morgana if if his whole thing is he doesn't like humans why hasn't he said anything directly about her being there as well but no he's well, he only knows, he knows where she stands he doesn't know where arthur's arthur is he, there he could see, see arthur was a cell sword the moment he laid eyes on him keyword so, being was he's there no, he, now he has proved himself, I feel, because he got Nimue there. You know, he helped get her there. Yeah, he made some mistakes on the journey. Yeah, like, like but, stealing the sword. Someone's probably told him that, too. Yeah. So, Wayne has no reason to like him at this point. I don't know. It's just it's getting... <laughs> Keep trying to stick up for authors. That, <laughs> that whole thing is just getting very old very fast. I know, but still, it's kind of like, even when he's offering to help, when he's offering to try to, you know, even though, you know, he's there, he's offering to earn his keep, he's offering to be there, he's offering to help you do whatever, you're still being nasty, being petty. And then, like, towards the end of the episode, Arthur's telling you guys, no, we shouldn't do this. This is what we should do. And you don't want to listen to him just because he's human. And what happens? Arthur turns out to be right because y'all get attacked at the end because you don't want to listen. That's petty. Yeah. That's but, petty. Um, that, that's, um, yeah, that's, it is. <laughs> that's all I mean. That's, that's all I mean. That's when they're fighting a little woman. That's kind of shit that happens. I mean... It's not right, but I mean, if if you're trying to get someone's attention, 
it's like the best thing is to make if you're if you're in competition with someone who is if it's two of you trying to get one woman, you're gonna try to make the other guy look bad. And you're gonna try to bring him down to a level where you're above him. I mean that's that's what a lot of things in life is like most people in order to make themselves look good will make someone look really bad. I know. But that's about to come back and bite him in the ass now. Because yeah. you don't want to listen to the human. You kind of tell. You kind of tell too, because when he, when you, when they say what's happened and that there's only one road to get food, period, you're like, hmm, yeah, that's. It's just like in in what is it, Mad Max Fury Road? It's like no, that's right, <laughs> right. One way in, one way out. Hmm. No, that's not a trap. Come on now. And to be to be such a great green knight. You would think that he would just sniff that shit exactly. out. Exactly. That's like, my point. Like, they're like, okay, we can't do this. That's a trap. We got to figure out something else. But he instead, he's like, yeah, go down the road. That's the only road. And we'll go there and get our stuff. And I'm like, bruh, you're a, you're a knight. Have you no military training whatsoever? Do you just go out and swing your sword and come back and get all the accolades? And, or right, and then you have the nerve to, you know, say something snippy to Arthur about, well, we didn't ask you on this, um, on this, you know, mission because of your military expertise. Okay, he doesn't have military expertise, but guess what? He was able to see something that you weren't able to see, Mister Military Expert. <laughs> He's just being petty, but his pettiness is gonna put them all in danger. You know. Like, yeah. and then you know, and then not only that, you he comes in and he's trying to. I won't even say claim rights to them away, but it's like you've just seen her for the first time in years, and all of a sudden you want to be able to tell her what to do. Oh no, you can't go take this to Merlin. No, you can't give him the sword. No, I'm gonna escort you. No, this. No, who are you to be giving orders to her? Like. She's done pretty well for herself so far without your help. You know? It's not yeah. like it's not like the sword was entrusted to you. Yeah, and she should have brought that up and been like, Oh, it's my mission, it's not your mission. I I mean she did, but I I think I think at that point she was just kind of looking back and forth at them too, like if y'all don't stop, okay, let me get out of here. Let me go handle my business and be a mature person and go do what I'm supposed to do. Instead of sitting here, you know, trading insults or whatever. It's like really childish. Come on, y'all. You're in the middle of a war. I think you have more important things to be fighting over. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can't argue with you there because it's obvious what we see on the screen. But, you know, Gwen is going to do what Gwen is going to do. Mm. He he doesn't like the man blood, and whatever the man blood says is poison. Gwen's gonna Gwen. Gwen's gonna Gwen. That's right. Well, I think I think the 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 bigger problem for him isn't so much that he doesn't like uh, humans. I think it's he he has this thing where he wants to be in control he wants to control everything around him and here's someone who could easily even though he's human and not fake step right in take a leadership role take everything away from him take the girl and as we saw later on in the episode his own people are like you know we might want to listen to arthur instead of you on certain things because he might be a little bit more experienced in these things than you so it's more of a one-upmanship i think for him 
And we don't really have a history. Like, he right. calls himself a green knight, but do we even know if he is an actual knight or not? Like, how much military training does he actually have? You know? Maybe he's just the one that can fight the best. He's like, okay, yeah. um, everybody gets swords and fight each other. Last one standing gets to be green knight. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's no tournament, and you know, there's no you know roses and all and all that stuff that they do. But we haven't seen any type of organized military from the fair. Am I wrong? No, we haven't. No. Okay, so other, so that other than other, the the um, what is the the horn? The horn. Okay. So I'm gonna guess that if you follow the tropes of fantasy. Uh, since there's no organized military, that they're just basically a ragtag uh, group trying to to survive and pull themselves together from whatever village or whatever uh, uh, town or farm or whatever that they can gather. You know, sort of like the where you're walking along and you say, "Hey, you want to join us?" And "Hey, can you fight?" And you all gather and you meet at one point and then you go off. I get, that's the impression I get. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't know where Gawain has been during the years that he was away from the village. We don't know exactly what any of them have been through, but you know, like like you did say, I don't think there's any official military presence for them. I think it's just basically like they, they've gathered themselves only because they were being attacked. You know, but as far as like, if they were to go head to head right now with the paladins or with the Pendragon armies, that's a lost cause. You know, they don't they just don't have the, the they don't have the organization for it, one. They don't have the manpower because most of their you know, most of their numbers have been diminished because of the red paladins. So, you know, I think at this point it's probably he's probably the most senior in the group, the one that had the most experience with fighting, like you said, and he does have a bit of a commanding presence, so they probably do just look to him you know, in, in terms of him being a leader because of that, because of his presence and because of how he carries himself. But I mean, it's possible that before all of this happened that he was, because he can pass for a human, he probably was squired to an actual knight. You know, so it is possible that he really could be a knight and just decided to go back with his people after I... all this stuff started happening. I wonder if he would like do that he though. Away for, that he was away for a while, and you know we don't like you say we don't know where he was, but it's possible that he could have been off actually being a squire for someone. But you think that he would be a squire for a human, given his contempt for humans? Like that literally means that you're. Well, it, it could have developed after the. The Red Paladins started burning fade villages That's and true. killing children and women. Yeah. Mm. All, all of that could have happened afterwards, and that would have immediately turned him against any human or whatever. Yeah. But he could have squired and become a knight. Like, we don't really. He seems to be fairly old. Like, not, not old, old. But he does, <laughs> older. He, he does seem older. Yeah. Um, old enough to be a knight, so he could have squired and he could have become a knight. Um, but you know, not really knowing how. Okay, yeah, I'm not gonna talk about the writers. But <laughs> again, you know, oh, to be a knight 
implies that he is a lord of some such that he would have some land somewhere. I mean, it, if he would be a liege to someone and breaking that would make him not a knight anymore. But all that aside, it's possible that he could have been, I'm, I'm going to take it back what I said earlier, it's possible that he could have been a knight and just decided to help his people fight. Mm. I don't know. And, and they do have a tribe. I keep calling them the horn. I, I can't remember what their tribe is, but they're the ones with the horns. They tend to be the brutes and the ones that fight all the time. Mm-hmm. They that that tends to be that seems to be the only group that that fights at this point. Hmm. Yeah, I'm still I'm still with with the um pick the best fighter make them leader thing. <laughs> because he answers to someone, it seems like like they have a council. I, I would assume. Yeah. Right. I mean, he was part of the council, but I just think that I mean, maybe maybe this is like the like the action movie sequence where he's like, "What are we gonna do? We have to do something." Like, and he's like, "You know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna step up and be and be the action hero, and I'm gonna lead everybody." But you can't do that. We're outnumbered. It's okay. It's a risk I'm willing to take. And then he takes his sword and his horn helmet, and he goes off into the world. Tries <laughs> to fight people. I just, I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't think, I, I think the Green Knight is more of a nickname than an actual rank or an actual thing with him. I think you know because he he has armor, he has armor and a sword. Sure, he's a knight. Okay, fine, whatever. And he's wearing green. The Green Knight. Okay, cool. to whatever happened with the Red Paladins, I still feel like for him to be of a different race, for him to be Fae and to go and squire for a human, I don't know. The Fae to me seem like they're a proud people and that they would not go to that level. You know what I'm saying? Because even though it's a squire, it's a, it, you know, it's a position that, you know, people have moved up from, it's still kind of like you're at the bottom of the social ladder and the people who are above you kind of look down on you. You know, I just, I don't see him, I don't see him doing that. I don't know. I don't. But okay, I want to go to something more interesting. Nimue and Merlin finally meet. And, uh, whoo. This is interesting because you can tell that Nimue is apprehensive about the meeting, but at the same time, I think she's kind of excited as well. It's like she has been without a father figure for so long because her the father that she knew abandoned them. And to find out that Merlin, this mysterious 
you know, magician, whatever, you know, is her father. I think she has some conflicted feelings about it, but when she meets him, it's almost like when she does get to talk to him a little bit, there is a little bit of childlike wonder for her, I think, you know, just kind of like, wow, the you know, it's kind of like the man, the myth, the legend, he's standing right in front of me. Not only as a father to a daughter, but just as this person who a lot of the faith don't even believe exist, you know? And here he is, and he's her father, and, you know, he's able to give her a little bit of insight into her mother's past, which I think is great because we get a lot more backstory um, on her family and how everything came to be. But, ooh, that was... Um, that was kind of an emotional reunion. <laughs> it's kind of weird having them do it, like, when so much is at stake, but then it's like she's meeting her estranged father, so she has all the usual questions that a child has for an estranged father, like, why'd you leave? Who are you? And what are you doing? All this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you, and so you can see Marilla, like, we really don't have time for this. Like, I kind of have to get, we have to kind of have to get moving with all this. But it's kind of weird seeing, like, yeah, but it, it, it's not weird. It's just it, it's a it's, it's a strange time for them to meet. A, and the way they met, like through a vision, they met through a vision, and then they meet in person. And it's just like, okay, she is like she's trying. She's trying to get through with to go through with the mission, but she's already been her opinion has already been tainted by a lot of people saying. Oh, Merlin, Merlin's a drunkard and he's loyal to Luther. You really shouldn't give him the sword. Mm -hmm. So she's already been tainted that way. And now that she's, now that she sees, the, sees Merlin and is like, okay, this is going to have to give the sword. She's like, yeah, I don't know about this all of a sudden. Because, especially finding out that he's, that he's her father and not knowing what happened between him and her mother mm -hmm. and, and still wondering and having so many questions about it. It just makes for a really awkward kind of thing. But I think also, too, it's important for her to have that information because, again, this is something that her mother entrusted her with before she died. And for that to be the last thing her mother tells her, obviously it's something that's very important. And <clears throat> I think a lot of what Nimue finds out in this episode and from this point will help shape the decisions that she makes moving forward in terms of the sword, in terms of what she needs to do to help the Fae. Um, I think it's important. Yes, it does seem kind of out of place because it's like, you know, we've got way more important things going on. And of course, they don't know that someone's after them because they don't know that the Queen Regent left the castle to send one of her people to spy on Merlin. Speaking of which, how in the world did she even get out of the castle? I thought she was being held captive. That's a good question. I don't know. I, I, I want to give a shout out to Gustav Skarsgård, though, because his, his acting is so subtle. Because we had just seen him be, you know, the mischievous, villainous Merlin. And once again, we're, we're taken back to the tender, sweet, kind, caring Merlin that, mm -hmm. you know, found Lenore's body. 
he's all of a sudden softened his features and he's really being nice and sweet to her. Yeah. I know I know he knows it's his daughter, but I'm just saying even in that moment you can see that he has a lot of um emotionally caring. I, I that's I, I really commend um Gustav Skarsgård on, on being able to convey that in those moments. Yeah. And he's really good at that, those subtle changes in um stance and behavior and attitude. And his facial expressions. Yeah, because yeah. because I think just from the way that we've seen things unfold in this episode as far as what happened with Merlin and Lenore, how they fell in love and what happened when they fell apart or when they, you know, were pushed apart or when she, you know, she kind of uh, kicked them out. I don't think he ever knew he had a daughter. And so when they met in the vision in the last episode and she mentioned that, I think that was why it startled him so much that he broke the connection. And then I think you know, like you said, Anthony, to actually see her face to face. And, you know, they did pretty good casting with those two because she does kind of favor the actress who played Lenore. And so for him to stand and look at her and say, it's like looking at the spitting image of her, you have to think of all these emotions that he's going through. Like, this is someone that he loved, that he lost because he threw a tantrum once. You know, and it's kind of like Lenore. I will say this for for her as a character, for her to have to see him go through that and to make that decision. No, I'm not going to deal with this from you. You know, that takes some strength because most people they can't do that. But I also think when we saw her handle the sword and the vision, you could kind of hear in the background screams and cries and you know please not to kill and that sort of thing so I don't know if the sword actually showed her what Merlin did with it or if it was just a feeling like she just felt the pain and the anger and the rage and everything that was associated with that sword and maybe at that moment was like I can't I can't be around this this can't be a part of me we don't even know if she knew she was pregnant at this point, you know? And then for her to have Nimue not tell Merlin. I mean, she never saw Merlin again. So Merlin would have no reason to even know that he had a daughter. And then to you come face to face, here she is, flesh and blood, she's grown. And not only that, she's got the sword that you thought was destroyed. She's holding, she's literally holding your magic in her hands. And on top of that, She's carrying this big burden that no one really knows about yet. But we know that she has some kind of great fate tied to this sword and to everything that's going on with her people. So it's just kind of like there's so much that's going through him at this point. And yeah, but what, what, what surprised me, though, was for me, after how his character has been, I was expecting him to try to figure out a way to take the sword or knock her out or drug her, but that never happened. And I wasn't surprised by that. That's why I was like, Gustav, Mr. Skarsgård just really showed you how, how good an actor he is. Yeah. And conveying that Merlin really did care for her. Like he was showing true feeling for 
her, you know, and Lenore. Right. But but like I said, I kept waiting for him to to come up with the reason why he should snatch the sword from her, and it, and it never happened. Right. And I also like about his characters, like when you, when we see stories like this with you know fathers, long lost children who didn't know, you know, there's especially when it's a situation like this, like technically speaking, Nimue and Merlin should be on opposite sides of this issue because Merlin is the, um, he is the advisor to the human king. She is Faye. And, you know, they both have the sword and their peoples need the sword for different reasons. So technically speaking, they really should be enemies or at least not like each other at this point. And what we've seen before in other stories and other shows, movies, when when it comes to estranged parents and children, a lot of times the parent, like someone in Merlin's position, could try to say, well, how do I know you're, you're, you're my daughter? Or, you know, something of that nature. Or just because she has something that he needs, he would try to go that route. Oh, well, you know... You know, I, I I left because of this, that, and the other. You know, just trying to make it seem like he didn't want her, she wasn't wanted, that sort of thing. And I like, what I like about his character is that he never does that. You know, even though we have kind of, you know, figured out that he didn't even know that she existed. When she asked, why, why did you leave me? You know, why weren't you there for me? Instead of saying, I didn't know about you, instead of putting that on Lenore... Which truly, it really is on her because if she knew she was pregnant, she knew she was having a child, she should have let him know. But instead of doing that, he just basically was like, my answer will be a disappointment to you. But he never once blames Lenore. He never once, even in the memories, like, you know, he could have twisted those memories. He could have made it seem like it was all on her, like he was blameless if that was what he wanted to. But no, he was very straightforward with her. He showed her the truth. And he didn't shy away from anything that she asked except when it came to his own violent past. And she had to find that out for herself. But I like the fact that he just, he's basically like, okay, you're my daughter. I can tell you what you need to know, but it's not going to change anything. Basically, like, you, you know, he's trying to stick to the mission and what they are there for. But at the same time, I think his own curiosity is kind of getting the best of him. And then to relive some of those memories, like the painful ones, yes, those are bothersome. But but just looking at his face um, in the memories when he sees Lenore, like when Nimue is looking at the memories, when we kind of felt that they were falling in love, she's looking at both of her parents. And the look on her face is of wonder because she's never seen the side of her mother. So for you guys listening, if you are noticing a change in the audio, it's because we are having to re-record the second part of this episode. Um, this will be try three for us. We had some difficulties the first time because we had a thunderstorm which knocked out all the power and my internet. So our first attempt got cut short. We tried to re-record last weekend, and for some reason, the audio came in very distorted for Anthony and Michael. So we're attempting to re-record again, and tonight it's only myself and Anthony because Lori is unavailable, 
And Michael is out celebrating his anniversary with his lovely bride, Michelle. So happy anniversary, Mike and Michelle. Happy anniversary, Mike. So um, we were discussing season one, episode six of Cursed. And I believe we left off. We were talking about Nimue and Merlin. And uh, Nimue was in the midst of Merlin's memories. She had seen the argument between Merlin or rather, at this point, she had seen, um, she was looking at Merlin and Lenore falling in love. And I think I was saying something about how um, she was kind of in awe because this is something that she never imagined. You know, she didn't find out until recently that Merlin was her father. And, you know, she had this, um, I would say maybe not, it wasn't a bad relationship with, with with her mother, but at the time of Lenore's death, she and Nimue were clearly at odds because of Nimue's, um, because of the way that she was being treated, because of who or what the village thought she was. So she's getting to see a whole different side of her mother through these visions, and um, we get to see Merlin's... Um, his fall from this relationship, I guess, is the best way to put it. She um, she sees in the memory that Lenore is in the temple and she's clearing. And Jonah and his father, who is uh, who we thought was Nimue's father, um, they come into the temple. And Jonah's father is very nasty to Lenore. He says a lot of mean things to her. And Merlin kind of overhears this and he tries to, I guess, curse Jonah's father or um, just tries to employ some kind of magic against him and it is at this point that he realizes he no longer has his magic and we figure out that uh, the sword and his magic are kind of one in the same and when the sword was removed from him it also stripped him of his magic so he comes back into the temple he's throwing a tantrum he's upset he's taking his anger out on Lenore because he's realizing that this basically has has changed who he is personally and she tells him that she's destroyed the sword and um he almost gets violent um I don't know if I think he would have like physically attacked her but it seemed like he was close and she basically she puts him out she makes him leave the temple and when he comes back to try to apologize to her she basically banishes him from her life she says i i never want to see you again and so it's at this point that we realize this is why merlin didn't know he had a daughter why he exhibited some tenderness at lenore when he found her body is because this was like a good great love of his life and um because of his um his temper being out of control he pretty much lost out on that so um at this point Nimue comes out of the vision Merlin is passed out on the ground drunk and you know he's saying no more no more like he he it hurts him to his core. Right. Like it's he couldn't. Yeah. Right, right. And you know, I think Nimue has pity on him, but she wants to know more. Because she she realizes that there's still something that Merlin seems to be hiding from her. So she takes the beads to call the spirits and she goes back into his visions and she sees Merlin um he's somewhere it looks like Rome or somewhere else but 
Um, it, it's basically, it's a madhouse. There, there's bodies laying in the street. There are soldiers who are killing uh, the citizens. Women and babies are being slaughtered. And Nimue happens to bump into uh, one of the soldiers that's about to slaughter a whole family. And she turns around and it's Merlin. And, and, and we see they were all fake, weren't they? The I believe like, so. I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know. I believe they may have been, but the only thing I remember is seeing Merlin. Um, you know, when we see Nimue using her powers, she has like the vines come up, um, kind of like veins. Okay, and then I I know for sure Merlin did, but Merlin's were was even like his were silver and black, and it was like very ominous looking. So at this point, we know that whatever the influence is that this sword has has probably overtaken him completely, because he's just like, um, I think what was it you you called him something the last time we tried to record record this the Chronos the Destroyer I think it was that you referenced. <laughs> but no, Michael says like Shiva the destroyer. Okay, okay. So, but it was, it was jarring to see him in in that sense, and jarring even more so for Nimue. So she comes out of the vision. She picks up the sword and she basically points it at his throat and she calls him a murderer. And he's confused at first, and then he realizes what she's done. And you know, it's kind of like. I feel real. I, I feel sorry for Merlin at this point because this is something that he tried to hide from her. But at the same time, I think it's something that Nimue needed to see because she needs to understand how much of an influence that sword has and what it can do to her. And this is exactly why he's trying to take the sword and trying to destroy it. Well, he. It's hard to say he was hiding it because he made his his intent no that he was going to destroy it and that the sword was dangerous yeah i think and he was trying to hide that part of his past yeah, he was trying yeah not show her tell her exactly how he knows this or why he knows right. this but he was trying to tell her that the sword is dangerous it needs to be destroyed right and i th i think we kind of get the the sense that merlin maybe has been trying to hide from this part of his past as well. Mm -hmm. You know, he's made several references um, up to this point that the sword does not need to come back into his possession, that the sword needs to be destroyed. Like, he's been very, very adamant about that. Um, yeah. To the point where, I mean, even at the cost of his own magic, he's like, no, that sword, that sword will never make its way back to me, or that sword, I will never wield that sword again. You know? And it's like Nimue... At this point, she's so angry and distraught over what she's learned. It's like she's not even listening to those warnings at this point. Mm -hmm. And then to top it off, on the outside of the ruins where they are, here come Pendragon soldiers because the Queen Regent's spy has gone back and told her where they are. And now the soldiers are coming. She's warned by Kaze and Morgana that they're coming. And now, on top of everything that she's learned, she thinks that Merlin has betrayed her to the human king. 
So yeah, it's just... And you see Merlin looks at them like, you idiots. It's... She's literally going to give me the sword and y'all roll up on in here like, what? Right. It's just, at this point, it's just messy all around. Like, Merlin just can't catch a break. <laughs> you know? No, and, and, you know, it's... The other thing is, y- you realize during all of this just how powerful... Nimue is you know we we talked about the um the little apple tree that was outside and how you know Merlin kind of gave her a lesson about how to envision her magic so that she can try to learn to control it you know to let the hidden help you and not be afraid of what it can do for you and she makes this tree bloom and Merlin's looking at her like whoa you know because you realize at this point if she can do what she did with just a little bit of prompting, like if she was to go full-fledged, full power, like this is what I want and can learn to control that, yeah, Nimue will be a beast. Because he like wanted to make her have like a couple of apples. She brought the tree back to life. Like literally brought a dead tree back to life, overflowing, like to the point where the branches were drooping with the weight of the apples, you know? And... Yeah, if she's that powerful without the sword, with the sword, she would become a beast of destruction. She could. Yeah, we saw what she did in the, what they call it, the Red Lake. The Red Lake, yes. Yeah, if that was with, like, no training whatsoever with the sword, and she slaughtered all those um, red paladins. Right. I mean, and that's what we talked about, absolute power crooks, absolutely. Absolutely. All the power in that sword, you know, what it what it's going to do to her, what it did to him, and it's probably another thing he would want to avoid because who knows how that sword got embedded inside of him the way that it did. Right. You know, it, it, as if the sword wanted to become a part of him. Yeah, and and it's like we know that Merlin created the sword, so. I guess in a way it is kind of a part of him, but for it to be embedded the way that it was, I mean, when Lenore, when we look in the vision and Lenore had to remove the sword, like she literally was pulling muscle and skin did, away. Did he, did he not say, did he not say, don't take it out? He basically, um, he wanted to die with it. Yeah. You know, and I, I probably, of course, now now that we know uh, his visions and can see just how um, corrupted it made him, he probably thought that was the best thing for everyone. Like if he died and the power or the influence of the sword died with him. But of course, Lenore, Lenore not knowing what it was and not knowing, I don't even know if she knew who he was at that point. Um, I can't remember, but... You know, all she saw was there's something in this man that's killing him, is poisoning him. That's the exact word that she used. And, you know, she was just trying to save his life and not knowing everything that was going to happen afterwards. But I, I'm I'm kind of curious about that, too. Like, how in the world do you get a full sword? Like, how? Vision, <laughs> wasn't it, didn't it seem like it was a part of his hand? Well, I couldn't. I couldn't really tell if he had like, if he had a gauntlet that was holding the sword, or I had don't the sword know. Be, become a part of his hand. I need to watch it again, a third time to see. 
I know, you know, I I need to do that too. But it's it's kind of funny because you know when we when you watch it the first time, you're mainly watching it for the story, and then if you go back and rewatch it a second time, you can kind of pick up on little things that you missed. And then now, like you said, a third time, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to go back and look because I want to see just how much a part of him that sword was like when it was existing outside of him but it's like in that vision in that vision he seemed like a whole different person Mm -hmm. like that was scary for me as a viewer to look at the the very different change it was from the merlin we know so Mm -hmm. far for nimue i'm sure it was probably even more jarring because this is a person that up until now has only been a myth to you, you know? And then not only do you find out that this myth is an actual living, breathing person, but then to find out that this person is your father, like this is your blood, this is your kin. And then to find out that this kin is not, I mean, he told her from the beginning that finding out who he is would be a disappointment to her, you know, because he, I guess he knew, but still it's like to come into all of that, like she really hasn't had much time to take any of this in, you know, we, we don't get to see a lot of the questions, but I mean, you have to think about this is a person who I'm guessing Nimue is probably 16, 17 around that age. She's, she's not quite an adult yet. And, to realize that the person you thought was your father that abandoned you is not your father. And then the person who is your father, I guess, in a sense, still kind of abandoned her, even though he didn't know about her. But it wasn't by choice. Though. It wasn't by choice, but still, her being young, her being confused about all of this, she's already, like, hella emotional. And then you have to deal with the fact that, oh, not only is this person my father, he's also a murderer. And, you know, everything that she's learned about Merlin or everything that she's ever heard about Merlin, I mean, Merlin's reputation is that he's a traitor. He betrays people. He's not loyal. He's, I mean, it's like every bad thing that you can hear about a person has been associated with Merlin. He's a drunk. Yeah, but, but, but there were also stories about him that have probably persisted um, over over time, considering how old he is. And right. she, she was like, it can't be that Merlin, not the one from the stories. Right. You know, because he was once and powerful, a once and powerful wizard who was advisor to the kings. And just... But I think from her perspective, just the prospect of having an a thousand year old daddy who cares about her, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that possibility was there for her and, and it got crushed yeah. instantaneously. You know, the, the joy on her face and the, the, the I guess, the, um, I don't know, just having him in front of her was was a lot for her. Yeah. And all the potential that was there, despite the things that, even the bad things that she may have heard about, he was there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Jonah was not, you know. He was not like, 
And, and you know, go, when I did go back and rewatch it, I think he kind of suspected that she was not his child, you know. And mm. and some of the things that we've seen from the beginning of the series kind of sort of makes sense now that we know that that's her bloodline, that Merlin is her bloodline. Like why maybe why the dark gods targeted her when she was younger, um, you know. And then of course she has this she has this scar on her back. And when she when she got clawed by the I can't remember I think it was a bear, um, her blood was like glowing on the inside. And I think maybe even for Faye that was kind of unusual. That's the reason why when Lenore brought her to the temple and they got a look of, at her scars pretty much the whole council was ready to give up on her. They were like, oh, she's too young. She's going to die. She's been cursed and all this other stuff. And Jonah, you know, she's asking for help. And Jonah's just sitting there staring. I'm like, dude, that's your daughter. Go help. But I think at this point, he probably started maybe having doubts. You know, I don't think Lenore ever told anyone that Merlin was there. But I mean, Jonah, let's just be honest, looking at him in flashbacks, Jonah was not an exceptional person. He was not. No, and I'm sure his father said some things about her, too, that kind of, about Lenore, that probably poisoned his mind anyway. Yeah. But then the way this clan of Faye seemed to be, they seemed to be suspicious of anything that they can't really understand or explain. Which is so weird, considering you're Faye and you deal with magic, so... That's what I talked about on the previous episode. Like, it's not making any sense. Y'all are Faye. This is magic. Right. You should understand that it's going to be weird. Especially if she's going to be... She's a daughter of the high priestess. Mm-hmm. She gets saved by a dark lord. Maybe there's going to be some interaction of her magic and the dark god's magic. Right. Like, you know, the dark god targeted her because he could sense how powerful she was. Right. Even, even at that young herself. age. But, yeah. But, I mean, given the fact now that we know exactly where her bloodline is, yeah, she probably, I mean, she probably had a bullseye on her back from the mm-hmm. moment she was born because... You're, we know Lenore was, she She was no, you know, she wasn't one to scoff at. She was pretty powerful mm-hmm. for the Fae. And then you've got Merlin, this thousand, maybe older than the thousand year old wizard who, you know, even though at the time he didn't have his magic, you know, when Nimue was conceived, but still that's part of him. You know, and I don't know, maybe maybe Merlin still has magic and it's just laying dormant. Um, I mean, we don't know at this point, but Nimue, I think, in some ways, I understand her disgust with Merlin right now. I understand how she feels betrayed. I understand how she can kind of misconstrue a lot of this, especially when right at the moment all this is happening, you've got Pendragon soldiers, you've got, you know, soldiers of one of the people that's looking for you there. I can understand why she may feel betrayed, but at the same time, I kind of want to look at her and shake her and be like, girl, that's your daddy. Like, regardless of anything, like, did you see the way he looked at her when he first saw her? You know, he looked at her like he was looking at a ghost, and he says, it's like looking at the spitting image of Lenore, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's kind of like, 
I feel like, you know, you keep saying how great an actor Gustav Skarsgård is because his body language, his facial expressions, just everything about the the way that he moves as Merlin, I feel like you get a look into Merlin's soul. And his facial expressions when he looks at Nimue, it's kind of like you can see him fighting with himself like he's trying to... He's trying to stay strictly about business. He's trying to stay about the sword. He's trying not to overwhelm her. But at the same time, you can see like a sense of longing in him. Yeah. Like, this yeah, is my child. The, the joy and yes. love that he feels. Right. It's yeah. like, at this point, he feels like maybe he has a chance to get to know his daughter. And then, of course, everything goes to hell. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, <sighs> like... You know, we, we've been kind of, I won't say hard on Merlin so far on this podcast, but it's kind of like we, what we've seen so far in the first six episodes, like, we weren't really given a reason to cheer for Merlin up until yeah. this episode, until I feel. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like he's been portrayed as a drunk. He's been portrayed as a betrayer. He's been portrayed as selfish. And it's just kind of like, you know, we keep going back and we keep talking about the Arthurian legends and what we know. But it's like Merlin has always, through any telling that I know of, yes, he can be selfish. He can be a bit deceitful, but his heart is always about the kingdom and what's best for the kingdom. Yeah, and he always I, has his reasons for right. trying to make things be on the right path. And he would always do whatever he could to make sure it stays on the right path. Right. Which meant not giving people all the information they need or steering people in a direction that maybe they don't need to go, but right. he knows they need to go there. But that's just, you know, being as old as he is, as wise, quote unquote, mm -hmm. as he is, you know, you're right. He always tries to make things right. He always tries to do the best by the country because he could just not do that and be <laughs> the bad guy that we saw in the vision. Right. You know? Right. But, you know, it's, I like that we did get some of his backstory because we've gotten backstory on most of the other major characters so far and Merlin has been the one that we've all been like okay we want to know what his story we want to know what's his story and now we've got it even though I feel like there's still more that we need to know about Merlin but right now I'm fairly happy and it kind of changes my opinion about what we've seen up till this point you know, I can I can actually I feel like I can have a fair assessment of his character and who he is and what he brings to this story now. You know? Yeah. And and I was thinking that also, you know, in that flashback he was in it looked like maybe Rome or Roman province. We do know that the Romans tried to at least, you know, send an envoy to try to take and include Britain in its empire. Mm -hmm. you know, at the time. And it's possible that they could have encountered Faye and hurt some of them, and he decided to take out his revenge. That's and true. And the sword could have fed off of that, which led to led him down that dark path. Yeah. And I think that's when he talks about no one should use the, the sword for any reason. Mm -hmm. Because before that, it was probably just a thing, you know, but for him to take it up is something completely different. 
Right. And we do know that th that sword has a history with the Fae. I mean, uh, Gawain says as much to Nimue when she shows it to him. He's, he tells her, this is the sword of our people, you know. So maybe that sword is to protect the Fae. And that was why, you know, and, and it could be, you know, we, we keep hearing that Merlin turned his back on the Fae and served you know, human kings that he has for centuries now, maybe he created the sword with that in mind so that it will always protect the Fae, you know, from from forces outside of it. And and we don't know why Merlin defected, why he started serving human kings, at least not in not in this iteration of the story. So I, I think we, we still have a lot to learn about him and his background and his motivations, but I think now at this point, now that he knows he has a daughter, now that he knows that maybe she's been singled out by this sword for a greater purpose, I think maybe his motivations might change now. His loyalties might change. I mean, I don't think his loyalties are... I mean, he was just recently arrested and almost beheaded for treason. So I really don't think even at this point that he is loyal to... Uther. I think with what we know now about Uther's background, I think that's probably the the most of Merlin's uh motivations as far as why he's um why he's loyal to Uther or, you know, standing with him. I think it's just protecting him maybe. Well, I think he's loyal to the throne. I yeah. don't think you know, we talked in the past about how the throne and the king, you know, the king and the per the throne and the person are two separate people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about this today, how we have a president who doesn't respect the office of the president. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is with kings. It's like you're a king. And so people serve the throne. They don't necessarily serve the individual. Mm -hmm. Because the kingdom is what is prioritized. Right. And it's the king's job to protect the kingdom. And his advisors are supposed to advise him in a way to protect the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So Merlin is going to do what's best for the throne, not necessarily what's best for Uther. Yeah, but I think there's a part of him, too, that is trying to protect Uther because, I mean, Uther's not the, he's, he's not the blood heir. You know, that, that's something else we found out. And he knows this. And I think he's probably trying to protect Uther because this is not something, I mean, it's not, it's not anything that Uther, Uther doesn't know that he's not the heir, you know. And whatever his mother is or has been to him, it's not his fault. And I think Merlin realizes that and understands that and is basically trying to protect this innocent person in that sense you know from because I, I think we all know if the queen regent had her way she probably would have killed Uther and, and tried to control the throne and I think part of Merlin's um, part of his duties in serving Uther is to make sure that that doesn't happen and that does mean making sure that Uther is successful making sure that he stays alive and making sure that he makes decisions that are best for the kingdom because we already see his mother is there to kind of like you know so dissent and and doubts into her son like ooh, 
not no mother of the year award for her <laughs> at all. But I'm I still want to know how she got out the tower to even get the spy to go. But I mean, thinking about but, what you said, if you, if, if you think about it, it it it's not that far fetched to believe that she she didn't have anyone in the guard or any of the right. guard that would do whatever she asked her to do. She probably chose to stay in the tower just because, you know, it just kind of kept her out of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where she could leave probably whenever she wanted. What's Uther really going to do to stop her? That's true. You know, so she probably just stayed around. But now she has, has a reason to be moving in the world. Yeah. Because there's, there's things happening. Mm-hmm. Things that she wants to be a part of. There's pieces moving and it's right. time for her to get back in gear. Especially now that she knows that that midwife is alive. You know, right. you know, uh, Merlin dropped that bombshell on her. So now I think she, at this point she feels like, okay, it's time for me to come back and play my part. But also right. that got me thinking about um, a previous conversation where we had when we, uh, and it may have been the earlier part of this um, episode that we recorded, where you were talking about um, her having loyalties on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's probably that's probably how she was able to get, you know, away and why she has a spy that's working in her favor and not necessarily in Uther's. But also that kind of remind me of something I said as well. And I think we might have been talking about this show or we may have been talking about the boys where it's kind of like the people who are less visible get away with doing the most because nobody's paying attention to them. You know, so it's like, like you said, maybe she's chosen to stay in the tower. Maybe she likes the illusion uh, or likes giving Uther the illusion that she's helpless because Mm -hmm. she's locked in there and that she's, she's not of any importance or she's not a threat when she literally has everything at her disposal for a coup, for whatever you know like she has a way to play she already she already made her move and failed yeah so for her is let me sit back and just bide my time Mm -hmm. because the one thing you don't want to do when this time of unrest in in a kingdom like that back then is you don't want to have you don't want to have instability right and it would have been easy to kill him and then step in and take over. Mm-hmm. But after she failed, it got a little bit more complicated because if you if you kill him by poison, you can't really tell anyone, tell who did it. Mm-hmm. But if he were to die now, then everyone would know, oh, it had her. Right. And that will cause unrest and instability. Right. And so the best thing for her is to not do anything, lay low, until a time like now, mm-hmm. it's time to make a move. Right. You know, once again, peace is moving. Parts are moving. She, she's got to get back in the game. She's probably never really been out of it. And also, you have to, we also know that there's a lot of um, um, unhappiness with the throne at the moment. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. people not happy with, with Uther and right. how things are going, especially in the countryside. Right. So a lot of those lords are having to deal with the consequences of his inaction. Mm-hmm. And and she's going to find some loyalty there as well. Yeah. You know, so especially when the guard, because the guard looking at him like, dude, you know, we've got family back home. And, you know, <laughs> they're struggling. And you sitting up here, you ain't doing nothing about it. Right. So, like, you know, like we, we, we've heard that 
the uh that his subjects are like i guess you could say like fans of the red paladins because they're like oh they're do some, doing something about this so-called threat but yeah. you're not well, doing yeah, anything you create the you, like the paladins you create the threat mm-hmm. you, you take care of the threat right like the heroes and so that's you know it's crazy once again a reflection of the time we live in uh- <laughs> This is so true, so true. So I think um, at this point, okay, so we ha- we have to go back. So the, the last scene of the episode, we're back to Gawain and Arthur, and we're back to their posturing and Gawain. Um, and, and I have to say at this point, it is Gawain that is keeping up the, um, the strife because Arthur is basically... He's there to help, you know. He is trying to prove his worth to Nimue, but also I think he, for himself, he's trying to become a better person as opposed to the person who was always trying to right some wrongs. You know, we learned about that in the last couple of episodes where he basically was trying to get revenge for what happened to his father, and he was holding on to things that he should have let go of a long time ago. And so now he's he's trying to be a better person. He's accompanied Gawain and some of the Fae on this quest to go find food. And Gawain is just like, he's being, such a, he's being such a dick to him. And I understand, you know, you have your issues with the humans, you know, because they attacked you, they killed your friend. I understand this. He's he's he has a, just an outright disdain for humans. Yes, but just, his disdain, just a, disdain is gonna get them in trouble, <laughs> as we see in this last scene. Like we we talked earlier about when they were making plans to come to the mill to get the food and about the one route that was not blocked. And, you know, we talked about, you know, you being a military man, how do you not see that this is a trap? And the person who used to engage in these kinds of traps is telling you, this is a trap. We don't need to follow this path because they're going to be waiting for us. So here we are now. We're in the woods. We're near the mill. Gawain wants to get off and, and, finish going by foot and Arthur tells him this is a bad idea it leaves us vulnerable to attack and Gawain is like we didn't invite you along for your military expertise we're gonna do this you need to go collect water and one of the Fae boys I cannot remember his name but he's the one that Arthur kind of uh defended earlier in the episode yes yes if he could be his squire yes so Arthur's like I'm not a knight Right. But, you know, hey, you're going to be. So anyway, he asked Arthur to to show him how to fight, to show him how to defend so he can help defend his people. And Arthur gets ready to teach him. And this arrow comes from nowhere, hits dude right in the chest, and he falls, which we should have seen that coming. I mean, yeah. Arthur literally just told y'all, if this, if if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Gawain didn't want to listen. Now one of his men is dead. And we turn and see it's the Grey Monk. Now, again, I'm kind of wondering, like, he just always seems to conveniently show up 
where he ain't supposed to be. <laughs> he just has an instinct and natural talent for mayhem, murder, and death. That Joker is a fake. I'm telling you, he's fake. He's fake. He's fake. I'm calling it. He's fake. Pretty obvious, and I think they. It wasn't obvious in the beginning, but they keep dropping enough hints. Like he can read face symbols. Right. He he knows the face things. He's really. He knows where they're keeping their food and, you know, enough to burn them and burn down their villages. And he just, he knows way too much. Yeah, well, I think, I think we talked about this before about the way they did it is something you would do anyway. If you know that you have some rebels hiding in a specific location, they have to get food. Right. You, they didn't know the area where they were. Well, now they do know mm-hmm. the area. So they're able to kind of pinpoint where they have to be getting food from these areas. Right. So they can just burn all those areas. And they need one place for them to create a trap. You do that, whoever it was. That's just, that's just a regular military tactic, mm-hmm. fighting guerrillas. But otherwise, you know, they didn't know they were in the, they called it the military. They didn't know they were in that area. Mm-hmm. Well, now they know. So it becomes easier to flesh them out. Like Father Cardin said, we know they're in the Minotaur. You know, we know at the end of the episode, we know that they're getting their food from here. So let's burn their food and we'll know where they are. Right. Starve them out. Yeah, it's, it's, so that part of it didn't have to do with the fame, but him recognizing some of the symbols and being able to tell you know, they're north. How do you know this? Well, I can kind of understand those symbols. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so you must be fake. Which, you know, I think we had this discussion about at what point did he, was he taken in by the church? Right. And I was thinking maybe he had to have spent a little bit of time with the fake in order to understand some of those languages or some of that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, at first, I thought maybe it was magical that he would know some of them. Then Nimue had said her mother taught her some of those ancient symbols. So someone had to have taught him some of those symbols. Right. right. Yeah. So that mean, and then at that point, when you're six or seven years old, it's easy for someone to take you in and corrupt you. Yeah, that's true. Oh, well, we only have three episodes left for this season, so I'm I'm pretty sure we'll probably get a little, little bit more background on him before this season ends. But next... By the way, these writers are writing. We're not getting the lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've been, they've been a little bit better about giving us backstory. So, like I said, I hope we get a little bit more backstory on him, but I feel like... They have a lot of story to tell in three episodes, especially since as of today, we still don't know if there's going to be a season two. So if this is only a one season show, y'all got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. You know? But I don't know. Um, I know the next, epi- the next episode is going to be intense. I mean, you've got Gwen on foot. <laughs> They really don't have, I mean, and not only on foot, they, I think they left their horses behind, didn't they? Did. They? they tied the horses, and, he, and Arthur and the boy were supposed to stay with the horses. So, at this point, you really have no effective means of escape. 
there's only, I think there were only three Fae with Gawain when they left on foot. And we know the the Red Paladins travel in packs. And probably even more so since Nimue slaughtered ten of them the last time they came across her. So you know yeah. they're, they're traveling in packs. Them because Father Carter knows that's where they're going to be. Right. If they come, they're going to, that's, that's where, you know, he has his traps made. Oh, it's yeah. So it's it's about to get intense, but I and I have a feeling I just hope that they can move the story along in a satisfactory way because at this point, three episodes in, stuff needs to be happening like this now. You know? We we need to get boom 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 because you've got a you've got a specific t- story to tell. Obviously, Arthur is not gonna become a knight in this season there's just no. there's really no time for that so at this point the 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 focus has to be on Nimue and what's going to happen with her with this sword and with her power so they've got a lot of ground to cover you know well, hopefully they get there i mean the seven eight nine ten four episodes four episodes yeah this they should be able to i just want to see kaze fight somebody because she looks like she's going to hurt someone. She looks like she can whoop some ass. <laughs> like, I need her, and maybe not her in the Grey Monk. No, maybe her in the Grey Monk can do But, I mean, there's, you've got the Red Paladins. You've got the Pope's uh, Trinity Army. There's, like, so many. There's so many guys we're going to kill. Right. I, you've got the Pen Dragon soldiers that are following yeah. them. So, maybe she can I, whip a couple I of them. I'm here for it. She I'm, I'm like ready. She's going to whip someone's ass. I'm ready. When when um, Gwen and Arthur were arguing, I thought she was gonna slap him around. Right, cause she's looking at. The, I mean, but and it's so funny because all the women who who were around were looking at them like, oh. <laughs> like oh my god, this is this is what happens when you put too much testosterone in the room. It's just, <laughs> but because yeah, she was gonna squash it real quick, she had that look on her face like they don't stop. Right. Right now. Right. <laughs> So we'll see. We'll see. Any final thoughts? Um, that, that's it. I want to see Kaze with somebody fast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I want to get some more backstory on, at some point, on the sword, which, again, I'm starting to believe that that is not Excalibur. I, 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 I agree um, with you. I don't think I'm, it is. I'm starting to believe that it's not Excalibur. So it's going to be um, interesting to see where where this story is going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arthur still has to become a knight. He still has to become a king, and he has to gather up all his knights around him. <laughs> right. You know, we got Sir Gwen, and you know, we got. I believe the Weeping Monk is going to be Lancelot, or you know, Bedivere, mm-hmm. one of those guys. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll see. Okay. Um, Because it it would make sense that his knights would be a mixture of man and fae. Fae, yeah. But again, the story is not about him. It's about her. Mm -hmm. So we need to see her become a lady of the lake at some point. (laughs) She may not literally... She may not literally be the lady of the lake. Mm -hmm. The lake, for all we know, could just be a portal on how she sends Excalibur to him. 
at some point. But yeah, okay, we'll see. yeah. But I mean, we still have that image from the very first episode where she Terrifying was in water. water so, yeah. um, bleeding because I think I remember there was blood. Yeah, she had. I think there was an arrow in her or something like that. So I don't know if that was a vision. I don't know if that was something <laughs> that actually happened. But um, I mean, she's gonna be part. She's gonna be dealing with some water at some point in the next few episodes. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, so. I mean, I'm looking for right, the right. Like I said, the writers were seven, six episodes in. The writers mm-hmm. seem to have become consistent, mm-hmm. and um, we'll see where we go from there. All right. All right, well, that's it for our show. You can find us online at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for joining us. We hope you join the conversation next time.